expectations are tricky things. And this week, as we study the triumphant entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, we talk about how important it is to see Jesus for who he is and what he's doing and not allow our expectations of what he should look like or what he should be doing keep us from missing out on the blessings he offers us. You're listening to the Girlfriends in the Word podcast. I'm your host, Natalia Drum. This podcast is designed to dive into scripture through systematic study in books of the Bible, through cultural conversations with women today, or on specific topical studies so that we can learn what God has to say for our lives. My goal is to equip you to study God's word well and to encourage you in your faith journey as we walk together and become girlfriends in the word. Happy Wednesday, friends. We are in week two of our series as we walk towards Easter and we talk about from garden to grave to glory and the work and ministry of Jesus here on earth. And this week, we are going to be focusing in on the triumphant entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. But before we dive into the text, I want to just talk a little bit about the process of Jesus going into Jerusalem. Now, for three years, or approximately three to three and a half years, some theologians say as short as two and a half years, Jesus was working and healing and dealing with people all throughout Israel. We even see him send out his disciples into different regions of the country. And there has been a very public ministry of Jesus. So today when I talk about the public Um, ministry of Jesus, I'm not talking about just the work that he was doing with the people. I'm talking about essentially his public declaration in a very overt way inside of Jerusalem or as we walk towards Jerusalem, that he is the Messiah. Because up until this point, if we start to study the stories and the geography of the gospels, we find that Jesus hasn't spent a lot of time in Jerusalem. As a matter of fact, it's almost as if he's trying to stay out of Jerusalem. And if we look in the book of Luke specifically, the first 11 chapters really kind of keep Jesus outside of the city. And it's not kind of until that middle section in chapter 12 where Jesus starts to move towards Jerusalem. And and many scholars say he sets his face towards Jerusalem. He journeys that way because every stop along the way really is geographically focused on getting Jesus to Jerusalem, as if during the time of his public ministry, Jesus stays away from the city where he will be crucified outside. And and he really only goes there for specific reasons to celebrate Passover and these festivals that the Jews had to go to Jerusalem for. And so we do see Jesus inside the city of Jerusalem, but it's not as much as all the stories that happen outside of the city. And so today, as we study the triumphant entry of Jesus, we've got to keep in mind that there was very intentional focus on Jesus's behalf on getting to the city and that he knows this week, this Passover week would be the climax of his earthly ministry. And so just want to keep that in the forefront of our minds as we dive into the passage. Now, The story of the triumphant entry of Jesus into Jerusalem is recorded in all four of the Gospels. It's one of the accounts that we can piece together from every vantage point, and we kind of get different snippets of the story from each of the Gospels. But for the purposes of today's study, we're going to look at it from the Gospel of Luke and his writing. And we see that happen in Luke chapter 19, verses 29 through the end of the chapter. And so we're going to start there. As a matter of fact, we'll go probably to verse 44. So it starts, When he drew near Bethphage and Bethany, 
at the mount that is called Olivet. He sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat yet. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? You shall say this, The Lord has need of it. So those who went were sent away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As they were drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they have seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and your children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Okay, let's set some context and some historical background for you before we dive into this passage, because this passage is so full of so much good information. And so first of all, it was not uncommon for there to be a parade. So the idea that Jesus comes in this parade has gathered around him as if a parade has never happened is not necessarily the case. As a matter of fact, every year at the start of Passover week, there would be a parade into the city. What is so significant about this parade is that this time, instead of the people anticipating the arrival of their Messiah or calling out in joy towards a king who was celebrating with them, as you would have seen in the days of Solomon or maybe Hezekiah or Josiah, what is so significant is that this Passover, this year, this day, as they begin the week of Passover, their Messiah is there. It just so happens that he is truly there. And so we see a lot of prophecy of Old Testament scriptures come to play in this one passage in the Gospel of Luke. First of all, we see from Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, there was a prophecy about the, the Messiah coming into Zion, which is Jerusalem, and coming into the city on a donkey that had never been ridden. And so we see Jesus fulfilling that specific prophecy, which is such a beautiful reminder that all of these details of the Old Testament must come true, that God is faithful to his word. We see Psalm 118, 26 as the proclamation of the blessing that was sung every year over the anointed one, that the anticipation of God's chosen being sung over Jesus as the Messiah. And we see that Jesus is accepting the praise of his people, something that scripturally we have seen in the Old Testament. Anytime an angel would come from heaven or a prophet would come, anytime anybody was receiving praise, they turned it down because they said only God can receive worship. And here we have Jesus, the son of God, receiving the worship of the people and he accepts it. It's actually what makes the Pharisees so mad. They tell him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. And Jesus says, no, no, this, that's not possible. It's actually this 
that riles the Pharisees so much. Because Jesus knows that by accepting the praise, he is telling them, I am the Messiah. This is the public declaration in front of all of the people and all of the religious leaders that were there, that he is the anointed one. And when he receives their worship, it infuriates the Pharisees. As a matter of fact, Jesus even says, and don't miss this, if they were silent, the very stones would cry out. Of course he's going to receive the worship. He's the one that they've been waiting for. But keep going in the passage because there's something else that we need to see. And it's not just part of the prophecies, although it is part of a really cool one. But it is also the shifting of the perspective. Israel rejected Jesus as their Messiah. And if we keep going in the passage in those Next few verses, it says, verse 41, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, Jesus wept over it. And he says, if you, even you had known on this day, what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. There was this, this contingency and consequence that happens. If they had accepted, he would have been there for them. It would have ushered in the next phase, but they did not. And there was a consequence to it. Now it's hidden from them. But what happens in this day, when we look at what is this day that he's talking about, that he's walking into the city or actually riding into the city on this donkey, it's the day that theologians have been able to track back in the history of humanity and the prophecies that were given to the completion of the 69 weeks of years from Daniel. See, in Daniel chapter 7, verse 30, he gives a prophecy and he talks about these 70 weeks and the day that Jesus comes into Jerusalem, what we consider to be Palm Sunday, the beginning of the Passover week, was the completion of the 69th week of years that fulfills the prophecies in Daniel chapter 7. There are so many meticulous details that take place in the entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. And it's not just to fulfill the prophecies, and it's not just to give us the public declaration of the Messiah. There's something else to it. Jesus has turned his face to Jerusalem and he's set his course on what lies ahead, which isn't just the declaration of him as Messiah. It's the work of the Messiah, the salvation that he brings. And, you know, it's such an interesting situation when we look at the entire passion narrative as we walk towards Easter, because the triumphal entry was this public declaration of his ministry and it was blatant and overt And unfortunately, the people and the religious leaders, they rejected him as the Messiah. I often wonder how many people or disciples who had been around for the public ministry of Jesus and had followed him from place to place and who were interested and engaged in what he was doing and were maybe even there in that parade that day who had thrown out palm branches and cried Hosanna to the king and worshipped him, were maybe also people who were in the mob outside of the the courts of Pontius Pilate as they declared, crucify him. Were they the same? The religious leaders were definitely at both places. They saw his entrance into the city and they were there at the crucifixion. And it just always seems to baffle my mind that they were able to reject him. But honestly, when I sit and think about why it is that Israel rejected Jesus, it's because it was a contrast. Jesus was a contrast to the cultural expectation. 
The people wanted a revolt against Rome and they wanted a king who would rescue them politically. And instead they received a suffering servant. They received a king worthy of praise. But before he came to deal with the earth and the political nations and the the structures of humanity, he first had to deal with their sin and the, the sacrifice that needed to be made for their holiness and their sanctification and their relationship before the Father. Now, why does this matter to us today? and Why are we picking apart this passage? Well, honestly, the truth is we're so much like the people in the crowd. So often you and I, or especially myself, we can reject the work that Jesus is doing in our lives because what we see doesn't meet our expectation. If there is one thing we can take away this year, aside from the beauty and the understanding and the revelation of who Jesus is in the scriptures, I want us to remember this Easter season, that Jesus comes and works in ways that we don't understand or that we can't even begin to fathom, that it's not up to us to know all the ins and outs of the work that Jesus is doing and that God has ordained since the beginning of time for our lives. What we have to be so very careful of is that we don't turn away from the work that God is doing in our lives because it doesn't meet our expectation. Because our eyes see one thing and we wanted something else of God and so we throw everything away and we turn away from what he's doing. Because friend, I can promise you, it's so much bigger than what we see. That Sunday, as people saw Jesus riding in on this donkey through the city and they threw out their praise, they had no idea that the cross was coming. And when they see the cross, they have no idea that the resurrection's coming. And if we just stop in the middle of what we see and we don't follow the story out, we miss out on so much. And that's what we must focus on. We don't see what God is doing and we're not privy to all the details of the story, but God is working and he will continue working. So whether we see the garden or we see the grave, he is not done until we see the glory. And so friends, this Easter season, I want to focus our eyes on the glory of God and remind us that he is not done working. As a matter of fact, even now, the story is not complete. Even post-resurrection and post-ascension and post-Pentecost into the church age, we still know, according to the scriptures, that the story is not over. Revelation isn't complete and he has not yet returned again, which he could at any moment, thank God. But he is still working. So let us not quit. Let us not get discouraged. Let us not throw away the work that has been done because right now in this moment, we can't see what's coming because right now in this moment, the work that God is doing in our lives doesn't meet the expectation that we have of him. What he is doing is so much greater than anything we can think, dream, or imagine. And so this Easter season, keep your eyes on him. And study the faithfulness of who he is. Because as we look at a passage like the journey into Jerusalem that Jesus had and the joy of Palm Sunday, we see that the little minute details of all the prophecies that he fulfilled remind us of his faithfulness to complete the work until glory. 
So no matter what stage of the story we are in, it is not done until we get to the glory. Until next week, friends. Thank you so much for listening to the Girlfriends in the Word podcast. You can find resources on the website at www.nataliadrum.com, which is where you can connect with me via email, you can download resources, or you can check out the shop for books and tools to grow in your faith. If you want to connect with me on social media, head over to Instagram and find me at the handle at Natalia Drum. 